Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund. Big game tomorrow with the bye week, and we are playing bye, which means no game on Saturday, but short week after that with a game, 7.30 kickoff against Oregon State on Friday nights. And I don't know, Scott, the late games, I, I we all hate them, but is it any different on a Friday night than it is on a Saturday night? No, they all suck. <laughs> they all suck. I, you know what? I know I'm, that just makes me old, but they suck. Yeah, no, I was just I uh, I was in Cal last week at that seven thirty game and getting back to the hotel in downtown San Francisco about seven thirty excuse me, about two, two thirty in the morning. That's always special, especially yeah. driving through especially driving through downtown San Francisco that the night. walking dead. Oh, yeah. zombie land, <laughs> zombie yeah. land for sure. But uh, still a lot going on right now with uh, football, basketball, recruiting, and we thought we'd just cover the Mid-season awards that we did a little bit earlier in this week, we only wrote a little bit about that, but maybe just dive in a little bit deeper with what, you know, we see, have seen the first half of the season and what we expect to come out. But I think, you know, when we look at the top um, performers and we look at the top offensive player, it was pretty much unanimous that, you know, the best offensive player in the first half of the year was Michael Penix. And I don't think there's any doubt. And, you know, Chris and Scott, I keep on saying this when we were seeing spring ball and fall ball, we had a tough time distinguishing if you didn't know who was who, the number one quarterback, the number two and number three. And we didn't think that the gap was that big. But once the season start, Michael Penix just took off. I don't think any of us saw this good of a quarterback coming into the season. Well, I, I think I think a big thing for him was now he had never worked with Ryan Grubb. Is that correct? He had never worked with Ryan Grubb before. Yeah. He had worked with him yeah. before. And so I think there was some getting used to the way Ryan Grubb calls things, talking things out with him. But there was also just trying to get familiar with the wide receivers, um, his settings, just kind of getting his bearings and everything like that. But, yes, Kim, you're right. You're 100% right. We did not see much of a difference between Michael Penix, Sam Heward, and Dylan Morris when you weighed it all out. But I think it's pretty obvious that we weren't seeing a lot of the stuff that they were unleashing when they booted us from practice. So, um, you know, he, he just he, he seems to have not missed a stride and become one of the best quarterbacks, at least from a productivity standpoint in the entire country. And, Chris, I think a lot of people look at his ability to pass the ball and find the open receivers. But I think that the big thing with Michael Penix is 
when you take a look at when they go to the line of scrimmage and all the pre-snap adjustments, all the pass protections, and all the stuff he's doing before the snap, I think that's the big difference, and that's what's differentiated him between the other two guys. And I think that's been a under, real underrated part of his game. Well, it is because you, you just don't know how to judge that, right? I mean, what you know, what is the call? What is he seeing from the defense? What adjustments does he make? How does he slide the protection? Does he make a last minute audible? You know, I mean, the, the, you know, these are all things that are unknowable. They're the, what are they, what would we call them? The known unknowns. We, we know they're happening. We just don't know what they are. Um, so, and, and, but clearly if you listen to the coaches, they love it. They love everything about that, about him. Um, and it really just goes back to his comfort with the offense that he knew when DeBoer ran it with him at Indiana. And that's why they brought him to Washington. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to buy into the, this, this, I don't know, Scott, I don't know if I'm going to call it a conspiracy theory, but I'm not going to buy into the idea that somehow they were, they were just showing us one thing. And then as soon as the media left, they did something completely different. I just, that doesn't feel like DeBoer to me. It doesn't feel like what Ryan Grubb would do, but at the same time, I think there's an element of him that, that, it, that there's a real gamer feel to me about Michael Penix. Like, the lights on, yeah. Yeah, same same way I felt about Marcus Tuiasasopo. It wasn't that they slacked in, in practice. It wasn't that they weren't trying to get their stuff done. It's just that when the lights are on, when they're on stage, that's when they really light up. That's when they go to town. And, and that's what I think about Michael Penix. And I think that's what's really been kind of fun to watch about him because, yeah, we didn't necessarily see that huge chasm and quality between him and Dylan Morris and Sam Heward. But man, when that first game came against Kent State and he just starts slinging it around, it's like, okay, we saw bits and pieces of this, but we never really saw it come together right. quite like that. And Scott, the thing that I'm really intrigued with, because I don't expect Michael Penix to be back next year, but when we were talking to Jamarcus Shepard about how open his receivers were getting and asking him if that was the wide receiver talent or if that was a design of the offense. And you know, uh, Jamarcus said that they joked that they could get uh, your mother open. And I'm kind of wondering about the quarterback in Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb's offense where they were able to do this with Michael back at Indiana. They were able to do this with um, – Jake Keener down at Fresno State, and they're able to do it, do it again this year with Michael Penix. Is this a system offense where we can expect the same kind of a quarterback performance in this offense next year? Or well, is Michael I, Penix that talented? Well, I think I don't know if you're going to see 380 yards a game, which is what he's throwing for right now. So I don't know if you're going to see that. But, um, you know, how about the fact that it, I think they've had to rely on him because the running game has been kind of hit and miss at different times. I mean, they've been running the ball okay, but it's never been anything where where I think teams are worried about it. And and uh, you know, you talk about the pre-snap checks. I think there's a lot that there's a lot of times that those might have been running calls, but they were heavy in the box. So Mike Penix decides to go uh, with a pass because that's what you do when you got a heavy box is you you throw a pass. And so um, I'm I'm not. I, I'm not seeing a, an offense where it's plug and play like uh, what Mike Leach always seemed to run with the air raid where they're going to throw for 400 yards a game and, you know, six touchdowns and, and throw for 5,000 yards every season. I don't see that kind of a year or uh, kind of an offense, but 
I do see an offense that's going to be very quarterback friendly, and I think it's going to attract more quarterbacks as we see the time that they're that they're here. What's the biggest surprise with you, Chris, with Michael Penix? Well, just the, what I was talking about, the fact that he's he he comes alight when the game's on. It's like we didn't get a chance to see what he was like at practice at Indiana, for instance. You know, it's just we just obviously weren't there. We didn't get a chance to see kind of what he was like day in, day out, and how he was competing with the other guys there. But we did get a chance to see it during spring in the first week or so of fall camp, and it just didn't, you know, it just didn't look the same as it looked when he came out to play against Kent State. That was a, I wouldn't say it's a wholly different guy, but you could see that when all of a sudden there were stakes at the table and it mattered, that's when he showed up. And that, to me, that was the biggest thing. And to me, a couple of things, just um, at times he almost refuses to run the ball. He seems determined to stay in the pocket. But I think after early in the season, after he had a couple of interceptions that he wished he had uh, back, um, he's I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, he hasn't turned the ball over much especially in the last few games, he's been pretty, pretty sound with the football and we all know how important that is. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, when you don't turn the ball over, it gives you a better chance to win. But I think he's been really sound with the football. He absolutely has been sound with the football. He hasn't really fumbled very much. He's uh, has only taken, I I don't have the stats in front of me either, but like three or four sacks at the most. Um, And uh, I think the big thing for me is that, knock on wood, he's lasted eight games. This is the longest he's ever played a college football season. So let's hope he can make it at least five more games, you know, uh, through the season and, uh, and and complete this, what is likely to be the greatest uh, quarterback season for any Husky quarterback to ever go through the system. So at least statistically. So, um, you know, he's, he's putting up record numbers. He broke uh, Cody Pickett's, what was it? 21 year old, 20 year old record um, for most passing yards in a game, 516 that he had against Arizona. And, and I just think Washington is, is, uh, is really benefiting from him and it's too bad. He's, he's probably gone, but I mean, it, it makes the most sense that he's gone after this season, because if he's able to stay healthy, this is probably the highest his, his stock is ever going to be with the NFL. And he's got to take advantage of that. And Chris, one of the things that he had, uh, early in the season, you know, we say that, you know, coaches say they don't want to take the stinger away from their players. And Michael Penix, he was making a lot of throws and having a lot of success that uh, were just absolutely fantastic throws. And he did the same against UCLA, had a couple of picks and toned it, turned it back down a little bit, but he still ha- seems to have that stinger maybe a little bit more conservative with it. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking. Just when he was making a lot of those plays to wide receivers and they were just like the throw he threw to Talapapa down close to the end zone. A couple of the passes to Jalen McMillan where he just threaded the needle and that kind of burned him at UCLA. But, you know, talk a little bit about his stinger and he's willing to take chances, but he seems to be a little bit more guarded in taking those chances right now. Well, I think that's what makes him really, really good is that he knows when to use it and he knows what he can get away with. Yeah, that that pass uh, against uh, what was at Michigan State where he hit uh, Telepapa in their corner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and then uh, in the back of the end zone with McMillan, I think you mentioned 
um, you know, that was a heck of a pass. And and these are things where, you know, he he's throwing it right there when the defender is literally just, you know, stretching out as far as they can possibly go to try to to try to deflect it or try to even pick it off if they can. But um, sometimes you just have to give credit to the defense. And every once in a while, either they give him a different picture or they just make a better play. Uh, but to be honest with you, uh, on on average, he's always made the right play. And the the lack of turnovers is is proof of that, in my opinion. I mean, he's he's really stepped up when it comes to uh, holding on to the ball and not giving it away uh, cheaply. Uh, and yes, on the road at UCLA, I guess a really good team every once in a while, if you feel the need, like you have to push it. And in that particular game, Kim, I kind of got the sense that he felt like he needed to maybe push a little bit because they were getting behind because they, there wasn't a good kind of fluidity about the offense in that particular game, even though they still did rack up a ton of points, it just didn't feel like uh, they were really going on all cylinders. And sometimes maybe he feels like he's got to push it a little bit more than normal. But generally speaking, I think he's been really, really good about taking the, the easy money and credit to the offensive line for giving him all sorts of time to do that. Scott, when Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunsey came in, there were a lot of expectations, but with the offense that Jimmy Lake was running last year, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to shine with their focus on just trying to run the football. But Romo Dunsey has emerged as a legit number one wide receiver. And Jalen McMillan's having a really good year, but it just seems like Romo Dunsey has really really taken a leap forward this year yeah he definitely has um and i wouldn't be surprised to see this be his last season at the university of washington i mean he's he's leading i I believe last time i saw he was leading the conference in receiving yards um you know he's had a great season overall uh he's getting open down the field set the record for most consecutive 100 yard games set it set it at four um and you know i I just I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Romo Dunsey. I remember and Ryan uh, Grubb actually made this, uh, you know, mentioned this, that everybody was kind of aghast when he said that Romo Dunsey was the guy who was the one who could stretch the field for them because everybody assumed it was Jalen McMillan because he's, he's got sprinter speed. But Romo Dunsey just always seems to get open deep, and, and I think part of it's the way he runs routes and all those kind of things. 50 receptions, 756 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, he and Jay McMillan each have six touchdowns. Um, you know, I, I've been really, really impressed with what I've seen from Romo Dunsey, and I think the NFL is too. Hey, Scott, just real quick. A lot of you know, with people who haven't stood next to Rome and they're just seeing him on TV, he's not a small guy. No, he's not. He's not a small guy. I think what is he six three, six two, somewhere in that range, and a hundred and I don't know, hundred and I'm sorry, two hundred, right around two six three, two hundred one pounds is what they have him listed at. So, you know, he's he's a guy who can who can has the frame to get get down the field. Now, I've seen some things from him where he could really benefit from staying one more season and and learning how to get better releases off the line he really does have after this year he still has two more seasons of eligibility remaining so um it'd be nice if he stayed but i mean if the nfl tells you that you're a you know first second round guy you're probably he's probably gone but you know i i think they that these receivers really like the offense that they're in um they're they've become a really tight-knit group 
And Romo Dunsey is a guy who's kind of the leader of that group. But, you know, I mean, aside from John Ross and Dante Pettis back in 2016 and and then Mario Bailey and Orlando McKay, I mean, Washington's combo of Odunzi and McMillan, they've combined for 95, uh, 95 catches, um, almost 1,400 yards, and 12 touchdowns. I mean, that that's probably in the top two or three best uh, wide receiver duos that the that the uh, t- the program has ever had. Chris, going into the season, I think there were high expectations for Odunzi McMillan and also Giles Jackson, but it sure seems that uh, Rome has kind of taken the biggest step forward. What are you seeing out of Rome Odunzi? Well, it's interesting because at the beginning of the season, he was the one guy that that hadn't really stepped up. I mean, Giles Jackson had a hundred yard game. Jalen Polk had a 100-yard game. Jalen McMillan had a 100-yard game. And then all of a sudden, after like the third, fourth game of the season, it was the Roma Dunze show. And he just took over and just really showed why he's uh, he's the best receiver on this in this program right now, for sure. Um, but, you know, a guy like Giles Jackson, I think if you go back and actually look at the stats, he's probably the most reliable pass catcher that Penix has, even though he doesn't get targeted as much. He doesn't have as many drops. He's he just tries to make the most out of what he has with that. And so I think it's such a good mix with those four guys right now because you really have four different and kind of unique styles and different things that Penix can utilize in order to kind of create the whole. And I think that's that's really what's been so successful and so interesting about this particular um, group of receivers is that I think they really have all kind of settled in and found a niche and have really found um, ways to be able to complement each other in order to create this, this package that's so difficult for defenses because you can't literally target just one guy. I mean, yeah, Odunzi's having a fantastic year, but if you try to take him out of the game, now all of a sudden those other three guys are going to step up. You take one or two of those other guys out, now all of a sudden Adunzi has a monster game. They have been able to kind of ham and egg this thing in order to make it really, really, really good. And I think that's just a, another reason why Washington's offense has been so successful this year. And Chris, when you take a look at the passing game and how successful it's been and how they've been able to score, averaging 40 points a game, I think people are still a little surprised. And it's easy to you know pick on things, but... I'm just still kind of surprised with the talent that they have on the offensive line, the size that they have on the offensive line, that the running game hasn't been something that they've really been able to get going. Well, and it's, it, I don't know, it'll be a big mystery, and I guarantee you it's going to be something that the the staff is going to take a real deep dive in uh, in the off season. But, you know, what's kind of funny about it now is that we thought it was the strongest position group a year ago coming into the off season obviously when Lee Marks comes in the running backs coach along with Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer they look at this thing and they go no this is a mess this is the exact opposite of what we need they go out and get three guys out of the transfer portal the first guy Aaron Dumas from New Mexico is a guy that we haven't even seen all year now even though since Drew- April yeah since <laughs> April he was the leading rusher in spring ball, him and JV on Sunday. And those two guys haven't even gotten a carry this year. Um, that's That'll tell you a little bit about just kind of how out of sorts that position group was. And I don't think it necessarily is an indictment on Keith Bonifa or the running backs in that group, because I think we've seen that Richard Newton can have success. 
Cameron Davis can have success. The only problem is, is that they're just not the kind of running backs that are suited to run this offense. And that's become really, really apparent. And I think that's just kind of been the way it has all season long. And, and unfortunately they have not been able to figure out uh, a way to, to, to fit these round pegs into the, into the square holes. Yeah. And Scott, it's kind of wild to me that they can still average 40 points a game and the running game still be a huge question mark like it is right now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you look at their average yards per carry, I mean, it's somewhere, where is it? They're right at four yards a carry. Yeah, it's you not know? horrible. And it's not horrible. They're just not running it that much. They've they've dropped back uh, 352 times, and they've run it 259 times. But I can tell you this, um, looking at Michael Penix right now, he's got 24 carries, and I would say at least 20 of those. I mean, because they haven't really run Penix by himself so probably you could you could throw in 20 more take away 20 of those carries and put them in dropbacks so you know i they're they're throwing they're just because they're having so much success throwing the ball down the field they're just not running it that much and that's why you haven't seen very much productivity out of the tailbacks but i think also i think the offensive line is just better at pass blocking and and um you know with them scoring as much as they are i think I don't know if you can really put a fault on what Washington's doing at this point. And, and if you're going to nitpick and say, oh, well, the, the running game isn't very good. Well, you know what? I mean, there's really nothing more you can say about, you know, the, the quarterback leading the country in passing yards per game. Chris, how impressed are you with Ryan Grubb? Very impressed. Very impressed. And I think to go to Scott's point that he just made there, why would you try to be stubborn on something if you are literally the best at something else in the entire country. I mean, you were literally, you have created the best passing attack statistically in the country. Why would you deviate from that just because people think, oh, well, you've got to have a certain amount of run-pass balance? Well, if you really look at the numbers, the run-pass balance isn't nearly as maybe off-kilter as people would expect given the statistics. I mean, they're probably at worst 60-40, they're not it's not like they've it's not like they've stopped running the ball completely. It's not like they have gone full Mike Leach and gone full air raid. They've done these things. They have tried to do some things to keep people honest. And he talks about breaking tendencies and all that stuff. He talks about that quite a bit. So overall, I like Scott said, when you have when you have arguably one of the top ten offenses, total offenses in the country right now, whether it's I think scoring their top fifteen. But total offense or top 10, yeah, it's hard to argue with it right now. And I think Ryan Grubb has done a fantastic job. Quick yes or no from each one of you. Will Ryan Grubb be a head coach in the next three to four years? Uh, yes. No. I just, but, by, but, but that's by choice. It's kind of wild because when you take a look at guys like we knew Jimmy Lake wanted to be a head coach. We also knew Pete Kwiatkowski had no interest in becoming a head coach. But I look at Ryan Grubb, and I'm not sure if he is or not. He may. I'm, not, I'm just not sure. Yeah, well, he's he's not the most I, – I, I like him. I like his interviews. I think he's very direct, in what he, yeah. especially when they ask him about a certain player making a move up the depth chart. Nope, not at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you don't hear any, like, political answer. He just, no, not at all. But, uh, you know, I mean, it is kind of funny when he does that. Yeah, I was just like, 
ouch, that that stung right there. <laughs> but but uh, you know he's not. I mean, you look at the way different uh, different uh, head coaches are in in the country at the collegiate level, and most of them are going to be guys who are very Type A, very type. And I think Ryan Grubb probably has his moments of being Type A, but I do not see a guy who has that char- charisma of a of a head coach but I just think when you look at what he's been able to do as an offensive coordinator his background as an offensive lineman or I'm sorry not offensive lineman but offensive line coach um and how good well respected he was in that area um he's worked in quite at a, quite a few levels and and all that stuff Man, I, I have a hard time seeing him not be the head coach somewhere. But on the other hand, I mean, he's basically followed Kalen DeBoer basically everywhere he's gone, correct? Yeah. And he might just be real happy being in, in Kalen DeBoer's shadow and being the mad scientist putting together very productive offenses. And maybe that's where he wants to be. I don't know. Chris, I hate to do this to you. Hopefully you know the answer because you put it, put it together. What's uh, what's Ryan Grubb's salary? What's he making, 850 do you remember? Uh, whatever it is, it's short of a million. I know that. I don't think it's quite a million. Yeah, he's making uh, quite a bit more than he was at uh, South Dakota State and Fresno State. So I'm sure he's going. I'm sure when he got that first paycheck, you know, he's going. Hey, this is probably pretty cool. But I, I don't I, think he's leaving this year. Let's just no. put it that way. I don't think he's leaving. If he's leaving, he's leaving in a couple years. Yeah. It's let like, me let me let me be clear, guys. I I don't think. Well, and that's you said next three years. I, I, it's a choice. It's going to be a choice. It's not that he's not going to be deserving of an opportunity. And frankly, I, I think he will get opportunities. I think, you know, most of those guys have agents. Most of those guys have people in their corner. And I guarantee you there's going to be colleges out there that are probably going to be looking at him. I mean, if he is literally running one of the top 10 offenses right now and running the top passing offense right now, there's going to be people that are going to be calling his agent, calling the, his people and asking, and, and and it will be well-deserved. I just don't get the sense, and, and Scott, you mentioned the mad scientist thing. I'm, I think Norm Chow, I think those kind of guys. Norm Chow became a head coach eventually, but it wasn't for until like decades. You know, th- this is a guy that I think in his time, he will decide when he wants to be a head coach. I just don't get the sense that it's right now, and not even in the next three to five years. Yeah, because the issue with becoming a head coach is you're not just coaching, you're running a program and all that other stuff that they have to do. Some some guys just don't want anything to do with that. I mean, it's just you're more it's more like running a business than being a coach at times. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on him because I definitely think he's talented enough and really love the offense he's running. So. Um, you know, but moving over to the other side of the ball, I think that, um, you know, Kristen, you've made this point several times when it comes to Washington football. People are just so used to having great defenses and Washington hired an offensive minded coach. And this is more about outscoring your opponents than stopping your opponents lately. But it's just I think it's an adjustment period, like you said, for Husky football fans to what they've been used to. Yeah, no doubt. And and it was asked in, in our little asked a, a dog band uh, mailbag that we did this week about whether or not they'll, you know, DeBoer will look to maybe change some things up defensively and what have you. And I just kind of rolled down the stats and you know, the stats aren't great. Let's put it that way. But they are kind of lopsided in the sense that the really bad statistics are all about the secondary. Um 
The one that's kind of the team stat that obviously has to get cleaned up in a huge way is third down defense. I mean, they're they're almost giving them up at about 48% at this point. I think I had it like 125th in the country. I mean, that's horrendous. I mean, they, you know, you've got to just clean that up. But when you look at things like passing yards allowed, um, you look at things like just, you know, t- turnovers gained, especially like they've only they've only gotten two fumbles, guys, this year. When you when you look at the team sacks, for instance, they're top 15 in the country. They have 25 sacks right now, and yet they've only been able to force two fumbles. To me, that's as big of an indication as to why the defense is struggling as anything else, because they haven't been able to get the ball back. They haven't created sudden change plays. They have not been able to get the momentum back on their side. And that, to me, is a huge indictment. But there's no doubt the the, the injuries in the secondary – the fact that they've had eight different lineups in eight weeks is I don't know how many defenses are going to be good in the secondary when you have that kind of a dynamic. So there's all those things going on. And, Chris, just to add on to what you said, you know, you talk about the lack of turnovers um, that they've forced. Well, one of the reasons they're not getting uh, um, interceptions is because they haven't been around the frickin ball. You know, I mean. You're watching some of these guys just run wide open, and these are not great receivers that are that are running wide open. And you're just like, what is going on? Why can't you? Why? It it seems like the players are forgetting their leverage, how to have leverage on guys, how to use their hands, and things like that. And I think it's one of the reasons why Javion Green has found his way onto the field quite a bit, because um, <clears throat> he is a handsy guy. He is someone who will use his hands and be physical and things like that. But he's only a freshman, and um, you know. Everybody, people have asked on the board, why, why did everybody say how great Jordan Perryman was? He stinks. He, he's this. He's that. And Kim, you've, you've chimed in with that. He's playing hurt. Okay. Yes. But also, one of the reasons why we talked about how great he was was because if the if you guys think the Husky wide receivers are pretty damn good, uh, Jordan Perryman was shutting those guys down. I mean, literally, you could not get completions on his side of the of the field. And that is that has not been the case so some of it has to be that he's injured some of it has to be that that uh, he's struggling with the man-to-man defense because maybe he's more of a zone guy and all that kind of stuff one one uh person i talked to said um after watching the film washington is playing about 85 percent man-to-man and this person said um i have never seen uh college defense run 85 percent man-to-man so um they're putting these guys not in the greatest position to make plays and these guys are not ready for for the kind of defense they're playing. Now, some of that can be on the coaches, but I think a lot of it's on the players because the coaches I, the coaches are not telling Jordan Perryman to let uh, you know some of those guys run free right behind him. Some you know the coaches aren't telling Alex Cook and and uh, and whoever else is playing safety, whether it's Asa Turner or or Mikelistein or any of those other guys, to bite up on a un, on a under route while and then thrown right over top of them you know the coaches are saying hey you need to do this and that and it's just not happening right now hey scott i think the big question for me is when you take a look at that defensive secondary they're short on numbers and that wasn't the case for a long time jimmy lake was recruiting like a madman and he had a lot of position coach he was yeah yeah i mean you know we always said you know they always had the next you know the next nfl guy and 
it just seemed like it dropped off a cliff. I, there, well, it, lo- losing Jacoby Covington definitely hurt this staff. I, I think if Jacoby Covington was here, he'd be a starter. Um, it would be him and Jordan Perryman or him and Michelle Powell would be the two starters. And um, he'd probably be in line to possibly go to the NFL right now. But as it is, he's just playing a kind of a – I'm not sure if he's starting, but I know he's playing He's playing quite a bit down at USC. He's just not playing uh, – I don't know if he's a starter or not. But, yeah, I you know, it has fallen off a cliff. Some of it was Jimmy Lake during – twenty. you know, the 2020 season, it's kind of hard to – you know, really complain about people not having a great 2021 recruiting class because, you know, the, you know, Washington does a lot of their damage on visits and they couldn't get visits and things like that. But, you know, I mean, this kind of sits right at the feet of Jimmy Lake. He did not restock the, the secondary and Washington is paying for it right now. This staff is going out and recruiting. Currently they have four guys committed that are secondary guys, and they're going after at least one more. And you can expect to see at least one more added in the transfer portal. So keep an eye on that too. And Scott, they know that they need to get more bodies in at defensive back. They know that they need to bring in numbers on the secondary. So like you said, they're not done bringing guys in. Expect them, like, I said, like you said, what one more from the portal and another one. Um, at least yeah yeah if they find the right guy if they find the right guys they're gonna they're gonna take some so oh and trust me scott they're well tell everybody they're well aware they need to do this yes i what i what i just find so amazing is these people that that think that and i'm not doing the well they're coaches and they know more, more than you but they actually do know way more than you do uh, they see these guys every day. If you don't think that they see the problems that are going on in the secondary and they're trying to fix it, they're trying to figure out any way that they can to fix it this season and just get through it so that they can get some of their, some more of their guys in that fit what they're trying to do. I mean, you're crazy. And um, Washington's uh, staff definitely knows they, they need an upgrade in talent. They need a, uh, they need an upgrade in the kind of talent they have. I think there's still some talented guys back there, but they don't fit the system that Washington is running. Yeah, it, it always cracks me up. Well, why not give this other guy a shot? There's a reason. <laughs> yeah. It's because he yeah. isn't getting it done in practice. And if you're not getting it done in practice, you're not going to play. Period. It's like it's like the most popular guy on the team is, you know, when the team is struggling, he's always the backup quarterback. And then the backup quarterback goes in and stinks it up and they go, oh, now we know why. Yeah, the <laughs> backup quarterback goes in and throws a pick against Cal and it gets run back. And that's a difference in the game. Well, so that's, that's why he's not playing. You know, maybe people should just kind of try. Look, I don't, I'm not saying the coaches are infallible and that they don't make mistakes, but do you think they would make it over and over and over again? Or would they make it on one one week and, and then they're like, yeah, that was a mistake on my part. I'm going to start this other guy instead. Well, they're not doing that. They're they're six figure and in Kalen DeBoer's uh, case, seven figure salaries and their job upward mobility is dependent on them winning. They're not going to play guys who are not good if they don't think they're good. Well, in addition, when you take a look, okay, who's next? And okay, that guy can't play. He's hurt. That guy's on a pitch count. That guy can't play. And mm-hmm. you're looking at walk-ons. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what you're down to. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's not a good situation right now for, for them in the secondary. And it's just something we're going to have to live with. The Husky fans are just going to have to get used to. I don't think this defense, at least for the time being, I don't think it's ever going to be a top I don't know what were they under Pete Kwiatkowski top 20 defense usually every year that they were that he was here. I don't think you're ever going to see that again under this staff. But if they could just get into the top 30, top 40 defenses, 
and and stop teams on third downs and give it back to their very productive offense, I think you can win a lot of games. You can win conference championships and possibly put yourself in a situation to get to a college football playoff. And Chris, I think the other thing that's really impacted the secondary is I think they and you may not agree, but I think they've only got one legit interior defensive lineman in Tule Tule Gasanoa, and I think it's a lot easier to get pressure off the edge. But when you're getting pressure up the middle, that makes a big difference. And when they had Danny Shelton, Vita Vea, Greg Gaines, Elijah Qualls, they were able to get that push from up the middle. And right now they've only got one guy that's able to do that. And I think that's been a big part of it as well. They just don't have the big bodies that can do that. Well, yeah, going back to our, our midseason awards, who did we have for the top defensive player? You guys had edge players. I had Thule. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah but we were right. You were wrong. Yeah. Well, no, Kim, Kim just actually validated <laughs> exactly why I was right, Scott. Bottom line is they needed that anchor in the middle because remember the one the one game where they probably looked the poorest was Arizona State, and that was the game where he didn't start. He played a little bit, he played a few snaps, but he didn't play a lot, and they really suffered without having that anchor inside. Fatui Tuatele, good player. Jacob Bandis, good player. Voitunufi's coming into his own. Qualpehopa wasn't available, but isn't. you know, and, and you know, they had to play Javon Parker. That was his first start ever, and and he basically went, came on the scene as a true freshman is like, okay, why is he playing? And, you know, that that's tough on the interior guys. And I, I agree hundred percent with Kim. I mean, Thule is the one guy that is a real difference maker on that line. And when he's not in the game, it shows because he can take those double teams. He can take all the attention inside, which allows guys like Trice and Martin and ZTF and Smalls to be able to get those one-on-one opportunities, which they've been able to cash in on. So, yeah, they, they need to get better inside there. And and really, to be honest with you, defensive line recruiting hadn't been a problem because Tuatele was considered – I mean, he's already in the high school Hall of Fame in Hawaii. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. But we at the time, we didn't know about his pec injury, and that's really affected him, I think, almost his entire career at Washington. Um, Bandis came in with a lot of acclaim, hasn't really done much. And, again, these other kids like uh, Pehopa, Tanufi – some of these other kids, they're just very young, and they're just kind of growing into it. And they're not very big. Well, they're not very big, but they're getting – well, I mean, Pehopa's big enough for sure, but um, Tanufi isn't. But you'll see when they do their kind of their third third and long packages on defense along that line, they'll basically throw three defense, uh, three edge players out there with Tanufi, and it's a, it's a hell of a front when trying to get after the quarterback. They've been really, really successful doing that. But going back to, to, to Thule – I agree 100%, Kim. He, he's my top defensive player right now. Talking Tom Mining doing anything down at Oregon? No, nothing. My right <laughs> rub answer, nothing. Yep. Yeah, can you be more specific, Chris? <laughs> uh, he's not doing anything. I thought I was talking to Ryan Grubb. Hold on. Yeah. What's going on? He's doing nothing. Yeah, he's doing nothing down there. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, and I don't ever, I would never say this about any player, I don't care if he – plays at Oregon or wherever. I, I think I saw him get banged up a little bit, I think, against UCLA, which is disappointing, but he was in the game. But to be honest with you, I think over the course of the season, he hasn't done anything. Yeah, I, I think that there's some hope that next week we could see Eddie Ulifosio back. But with the way that the linebackers have been playing, do you really think that that will make that much of a difference? Because Eddie always gets a lot of tackles, but that position should be getting a lot of tackles. 
and Eddie's a good player, but do you really think it will have that much of an impact on the defense, either one of you? No, I don't. I, I don't think so right away. To me, I would, if I was a fan, I would look at it the same way uh, I would have looked at Jackson Kirkland on offense, him coming back. It, and it's not because he won't make an impact, because he's an impactful player like Kirkland. But I think the coaches are going to be deliberately, uh, you know, sticking him with low reps to start. Um, maybe a special teams, you know, a snap here and there to just kind of get his feet wet because people have to remember he hasn't been playing at all. He's not in football shape. He can, he can be doing the cardio all day long, but that doesn't put you in football shape. And so, you know, even if he does end up playing against Oregon state, which would be fantastic. I mean, that would be amazing. You know, if he got more than 10 snaps, I'd be stunned. And is it, and when you're only getting 10 snaps, you're not you're not going to be making that big of an impact unless like he did the first time we saw him against Oregon State years ago. Yeah. He comes on special teams. First play. And, yeah. Creates back to back forced fumbles on kickoffs. Now, if he does that, I'll take it all back. And Scott, who, who would he take snaps away from? Probably Cam Bright. Probably. It might be Alfonso, though. Because I, I don't know if they have him at the mic or if they have him at the will. Because Cam is uh, playing the will. And so it, it just kind of depends. But I, I think it would probably be Cam Bright. Because I think Alfonso Tupatala is playing pretty well. And would they take snaps away from Carson Bruner, who well, seems if, to if, play well? If he, if he takes away from uh, the mic spot, then yes. Also, the other reason, guys, I think it would be Bright and not Zoe is because at least from what we see pre-snap with those guys, it feels like Zoe is the one that's moving those guys around. He's making the calls. Yep. He's, so the, I, he's the mic. He's yeah, the mic. So that, so that to me that, that, yeah, I would think it would probably be bright. Um, but again, you're right, Scott, who knows if they're playing Eddie at the mic or the will at this point, who knows? Yep. And that'll be a question that will Definitely be asked on Monday when uh, we meet with the coaches. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I was down at Basketball Media Day down in San Francisco, which was on Wednesday. Exhibition game coming up this Tuesday, and we'll fill you in a little bit on what's going on in recruiting. Just kind of update you on where we're at with that. That and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back. I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund and a portion of when we were off the air will be heavily deleted. But will that be available anywhere offline, Fetters? Because that was an interesting conversation. Uh, <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> no comment. 
<laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right. Uh, I was down at basketball media day down in San Francisco on Wednesday. I had a chance to talk to Mike Hopkins, Keon uh, Brooks, as well as Jamal Bay, and just listen to a lot of the other coaches. Washington picked ninth in the preseason poll and wouldn't put too much stock in that. The voters who voted on that uh, just – I just don't think that they're familiar with what Washington brought in uh, and how that's going to fit. But, uh, you know, Chris, you had a chance to listen to my conversations with Coach Hop, uh, Jamal Bay, as well as Keon Brooks. Anything that really jumped out at you from those conversations? Not especially. I mean, I think it obviously is great to hear from a guy like Keon Brooks specifically. I mean, because he is going to be kind of the new novelty in this particular group, just kind of like obviously everyone knew about Terrell Brown the year before because of his connection with Seattle and being a Seattle guy, you know, he Brooks is going to be a little different. He's going to be more of the kind of the quad a green because he, he came from Kentucky and he's coming from, from back in the Midwest, back East. And, and so he comes with a pedigree. He played, he played prep ball with Isaiah Stewart so there are a lot of connections to Washington, but for Washington to get him over the kind of attention that he was getting once he had decided to transfer from Kentucky was huge. And and I think a lot of people maybe obviously there or maybe they're already assuming that he kind of fits in the scoring role with Brown, which I don't think is necessarily the case. Um, but one thing he will give them that uh, if people have seen any tape of him is that he is an elite rebounder. Yeah. And he will really, really help them in that regard. And he will help shore that thing up a little bit more defensively when you add the length and the toughness and the grit. Grit was the big word that I heard throughout Pac-12 media day for men's basketball when it came to Washington. A lot of people talking about grit. And that is the thing that maybe they haven't had in the last few years. Well, the other thing they haven't had in the last two years, and every time, time I talk to Hop. He's got two legitimate bigs. He keeps on referring to it as the two-headed monster. When last year, Nate Roberts would get in trouble, they just didn't really have anybody. Riley Sorn was really limited, and then they were putting guys back there like Cole Badgema, Langston Wilson, and they didn't have any business playing down low post. And then uh, Jackson Grant lost 20, 25 pounds with COVID, and he really struggled to get that weight back on. But right now, uh, they keep on telling me it's they're just blown away that Braxton Mia didn't play more at Fresno State. And he's a lot more athletic than they anticipated where they can put Frank Kepnon down defending the rim. And if he does get into foul trouble, they've got a legit option to go to in Braxton Mia. And they haven't had that for a long time. And I think that's key to running the zone defense that they really want to run, Chris. Well, I, I think when they when it comes to size, there's no question. I agree 100 percent. They've got legit bigs in there now. Um, more than, you know, like last year when you, you didn't have one after Nate Roberts. I mean, Sorn, yes, a little bit, but he just wasn't a rim protector. Um, for a guy who is 7'4", it's almost remarkable how he wasn't able to protect the rim. Um, this the, In this situation, you have two legitimate fives, and that's, that's, that's big. That being said, I only, I only think they're legit because of their size. I, I really don't know how much they're going to be able to to I'm still very much the jury is out in my opinion on how much they're going to impact this team like on the offensive side for right. instance because Kepnang he's very familiar with Pac-12 ball very familiar with the Northwest all that stuff that's good that will help him 
settle in right away. He's assimilated. It sounds like he's already there and, and doing things. But he, he wasn't an offensive guy at Oregon. And Mia, you're right. I mean, they're surprised that he didn't play more. But there has to be a reason for that. And I know that Fresno had a legit big in front of him. So I get that. But even in the rotate, it just doesn't look like he played hardly at all. And that's surprising to me if, in fact, he's as good as what the coaches are advertising. And that's where I'm, I, I want to, you know, rein it in just a little bit because, oh. yes, he's 7-1, which is phenomenal to have coming off the bench. And not just 7-1, but a 7-1 guy that has a game that's a little bit different than what they had with a guy like Riley Sworn coming off the bench. Yeah, I don't expect uh, Frank Kepnung or Braxton Mia to be, um, you know, big time low post scorers, but I definitely think that Kepnung has a better post game than um, why my uh, Nate Roberts. He definitely is a better offensive player down low than Nate Roberts. I've also seen him out in shooting drills, and uh, he's able to shoot the ball as well. I mean, he's got a three-point shot. That's not necessarily what you want him to do, but I think he's going to be more of that, uh, you know, clean up around the rim type of guy, and he's going to be known for his rim protection and defense rather than his low post scoring. Because I'm telling you right now, if he was a, if he'd have been a 10 and 10 guy last year, he'd be doing clearing for the NBA draft and not transferring to Washington. But um, just, you know, for those who don't know much about him, he's a really bright, engaging guy to talk to. Uh, he's majoring in computer science and uh, he wants to focus on robotics. So I always recommend that anybody go into the game, hang out afterwards for 20 to 30 minutes. The players come out on the court and they'll talk all day. And it's really interesting to talk to a guy like Frank Kepnong. And I asked Frank what classes he was taking. And he's taking some computer science class, some quantum something class and a physics class. And I looked over at Braxton and me and I go, Braxton, are you taking the same uh, same classes? And let's just say he said no with an expletive thrown in so it was pretty funny but uh the other interesting thing is a couple more things but uh, everybody's wondering where the three-point shooting is going to come from and Hopkins mentioned that Jamal Bay was a lead led the conference in over 50 percent from 3.2 years ago last year he was down around 35 percent and they just want him to be at 40 percent and if they can get 40 percent out of Jamal Bay from the three-point line and then Cole Badgema I know that they're really high on but uh did you hear uh did you hear Keon and Jamal when I asked him, Do you guys have a secret weapon coming in? Did you hear their response on that? Well, yeah, but you made it sound like it was supposed to actually be top secret when it's not top secret at all. And I never really got that. It's I don't Keon. think a lot of people I don't think a lot of people still know who Keon Menafield is. Well, you've been trumpeting him for a long time, so I, anybody who has been following the dogman board should know exactly who Keon Menafield is. But what I would say in general before we start getting in on specific guys like Keon is that, and it didn't come as a surprise to me because I think this is something we have heard from coach hop over the years, especially when the defense has become a force like it needs to be. I mean, he always talked about it being a difference maker, being something that they could rely on to give them an edge and something that other teams would have to actually prepare for. But when that defense is in full flow and the zone is going the way it's supposed to go he talked about transition offense as being some of the best ways that they could score and I can just see it right now all the purists all the guys that want 
to see sets and high post and motion and and all these all this offensive wizard wizardry it's not gonna happen guys it's just not gonna happen they're gonna try to score a lot on the break and and if they can do that if they can turn defense into offense fantastic but they can't rely on that and that's the biggest problem and I think that's where it goes to your question on who's going to be the three-point guy stepping up. I mean, uh, Coach Hop talked about Cole Bajima as being a guy that he thinks can do that. Um, we know Bay can do it at times. He needs to be more consistent. This is his last rodeo. This is his last shot to do it. The other guy, too, is you Noah Williams has never been a great three-point shooter, but he dropped off well over 10 points between two years ago and last year. If he can just get back to where he was two years ago. And we've been talking about that as being a big uh, key to this whole thing coming together. If Noah can become the Noah of two years ago, then that means he's shooting the threes at more like 36, 37%. And that should be good enough. Given that whole group, that should be good enough. But yeah, is three-point shooting going to be a problem this year? Yeah, it should be a problem because they really don't have a designated guy that can really step up and be a, a, a deadly guy. I think Bajima has a chance, but it, but Bajima is not going to start, or at least right now it doesn't look like he's going to start. So where does that stuff come from? Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, with getting Jamal Bay back to 40, 42, 45%, that's going to be a big key. Uh, don't dismiss uh, Keon Brooks ability to shoot the three. And then we'll see what Keon Menafield brings. But, you know, when you talk about Noah Williams and uh, then PJ Fuller about back out uh, top of the zone, uh, Mike Hopkins is raving about PJ Fuller and saying he's the best defensive player that they've had since Matisse left. And the problem with PJ last year is when he transferred in, he had to get a lot of academic stuff uh, done in order to get to UW. So he wasn't able to get into school and, uh, until school started. So he wasn't here for spring or summer like a lot of the other guys were. So that tandem up at top of 6'4", P.J. Fuller and 6'4", 6'5", Noah Williams playing the passing lanes, getting out on the break to guys like um, – you know, Keon, uh, Keon Brooks and Jamal Bay running the floor. I'm pretty excited about that tandem up on top and seeing what they can do. Yeah, no doubt about it. And they have other bigs that can run, whether you're talking about Jackson Grant, you're talking about Langston Wilson, yeah, those guys can run too. And so a guy like Langston is certainly a guy that can help transition from defense to offense. So in that way, they certainly have some personnel that can help them get that part of their offense done. But again, they're not going to be able to live just on transition alone. They're going to be able, they have to find a motion that works for them. And I know Hop talked about Noah Williams playing the point. He did it at O'Day when they won state title. So it's not unfamiliar to him. But at the same time, he has to be in a great frame of mind to run that thing the way it needs to be run. So that's why getting him back to where he was when he first started out at Washington State, that is going to be the key. They got to get him settled. They got to get him happy. They got to get him confident. And if they can do all those things, I don't see any reason why Noah Williams can't run the point and run it really effectively. Jamal Bay's run a little bit of point. I know that they've had uh, Cole Bajima running the point. Uh, Corin Johnson, can, I'm, he's a point guard. 
I just wouldn't expect to see much out of Corn Johnson. He had off-season shoulder surgery. I'm just not sure he's there yet. And also, Keon Menefield can play points. So they've got that covered. And we'll dive a lot more into hoops probably starting next week. We have an exhibition game on Tuesday. So that'll be interesting for us to get a quick look-see. And I'm telling you right now, Dog Pack is going to love Frank Kepnong. That guy has got a motor on it like a bit on a big that we haven't seen in a long time. So uh, basketball season. Looking forward to Tuesday. Scott, before we wrap this up, update us on what's going on in recruiting. Well, the coaches are currently out on the road. Um, they'll be out on the road over the weekend. Um, I think they're going to run a practice on Saturday, but it'll probably be just a minimal uh, staff. Um, Kalen DeBora and Ryan Grubb were in South Dakota um, in the 605, as uh, Ryan Grubb posted. Good to be back in the 605. And they were out there to see Lincoln Keenolds, uh throw and, and uh, get his team into the state semifinals. So um, I know that that was one that was out there, but I know Scott Huff is out uh, looking at some recruits. I know um, basically every every coach is out looking at recruits right now. They, they extended a few offers yesterday. One was to a, um, a 2023 uh, offensive and defensive lineman, and his name is, and I got to get it for you here real quick, it is... Uh, let's see if I can get on here. Um, you know what? I can't. So uh, anyway, the uh, actually his name is Tavake Tui Kolovatu, and he's out of Fontana, California. Um, William Inge made the offer, so it's as a defensive lineman. Um, and you know, Washington's trying to get longer on that on that defensive line. And, and another thing to consider, as you see some of these offers go out, there is going to be some movement in the Husky recruiting class. They currently have 19 guys. I don't think the 19 guys currently committed, I don't think all 19 of those will end up signing with Washington. And um, so you're just going to have to be ready for some movement along uh, that. But I've been making that statement since uh, late summer um, <clears throat> from on the recruiting blogs. So it shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody who follows that. All right. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Well, I don't what's to wrap up. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we got a bye week. So um, I it, obviously a great week for them to get healthy and, and kind of get back to their uh, to their baseline. Um, they're going to have a heck of a, uh, a team to play in Oregon State. Uh, Jonathan Smith, uh, always a coach that I've really admired and and um, and, and respected uh, for a long, long time. I remember going to camps when he was still at Boise State and he was. Uh, coming out and watching guys and doing stuff. And so I've, I've known Jonathan for a long time and um, I, I'm really impressed with what he's been able to do with Oregon State in just a few short years. Um, you know, he, you know, Oregon State, perfect program for like transfer portal, things like that. You see uh, like Trayshawn Harrison, for instance, the old Garfield guy went to Florida State. He's doing damage at, uh, at Oregon State, caught the winning pass, I think against uh, Stanford, if I remember right. Um you know, to, uh, Lindsay, the kid that uh, from Nebraska that Washington was in on early on years ago, uh, they've they've been able to to kind of really mix in some good guys. I kind of wonder what their quarterback situation is going to be like, but that'll be for for down the road. But again, Washington got to get healthy, got to get got to get right on the defensive end, especially in the secondary. And if they can figure out some answers there, uh, a Friday night game. When's when's the last Friday night game at home? Was it the Stanford game? Sixteen? Is that the last Friday night game? Uh, it might be, but you might either be right way, I, I think that sometimes that those games have a, have a chance to be a special, 
uh, a special event. So hopefully Washington fans will show up and it'll, uh, it'll be something where the Washington guys will come back from Cal refreshed, ready to go. And that uh, should be a heck of a game. Scott, wrap it up. Um, yeah, Washington six and two going to a bowl game. Um, they're, they're out recruiting. Um, and it's, it's just kind of weird to not have a game to talk about this weekend, but, um, you know, looking forward to getting back to the grind next week. I'll have a blog up after talking to a bunch of guys and I'll have a blog up on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. Four weeks in a row on the road sucks. So glad to be back home and for those who travel a lot, yeah, when I got home late Wednesday night, just sleeping in my own bed. Boy, that's nothing nothing better than a good night's sleep. Scott, you're married with kids. You haven't had one of those in how long? You mean a good night's sleep? Yeah. Um, yeah, especially since I did a sleep study relatively recently. <laughs> so that one, that was not fun. But uh, hopefully uh, uh, that that helps me in the future. Yeah, basketball coming up Tuesday and looking forward to that. And then Oregon State on a Friday night. And then the road trip down to our favorite place, down to Eugene, coming up as well. So uh, just a reminder for those who aren't premium subscribers, I know we run a lot of promotions, but sometimes the non-promotion is better than the promotion that we run. If you subscribe to an annual membership to dogman.com, it includes Paramount Plus, and that's included, and Maverick, uh, Top Gun Maverick is going to be coming out here. Don't have an announced date on that, but uh, that will be included in the streaming on Paramount Plus. So we'll run some promotions around that where, you know, it's just still the full price, but you'll be able to get Top Gun Maverick as well as a lot of other good stuff on Paramount Plus. So just a reminder, if you're not a subscriber, it's still a good deal. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.